My name is Brian. I work at this church, <laughs> along with Miranda, uh, which is which is shocking. I just found that out this morning that we're both here. Uh, anyway, really glad you're here. How many of you are glad the holidays are done? Any, anybody glad? Like, man, they're exhausting. Whew, like, you need a vacation from vacation. Uh, but uh, really glad a lot of you uh, joined us both on uh, the various Christmas Eve services that we had, and then we had an annual meeting. Uh, and then last week, uh, Christopher Bussard was able to share with us uh, his story and, and his book. If you missed that, uh, and anxiety, depression, mental illness, etc., is anything within your wheelhouse of something you might be interested in and, and how the church speaks into that, please jump on our website uh, and you can watch that or listen to it, whichever is convenient for you. Um, but that was just a really rich time for Christopher to open up and be transparent with his story and his struggles. Uh, I know a lot of you were impacted greatly from that. And so please uh, make yourself uh, available to that podcast. Uh, we're doing this. We're looking into questions. And how many of you have had a question in faith before? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, otherwise, we don't have much in common. Uh, questions are good. Let's just uh, apply a few ground rules as we jump into things over the next seven weeks. Questions are a good thing. They're not bad. Okay? Can we establish that? Questions are a very, very good thing. It's healthy to ask questions. It's also healthy to doubt. It's, it's healthy to want to know. Those are good things. You should want to know, especially when it's life and death situations, right? You, you, someone says, hey, let's cross this bridge. You want to know the bridge is going to hold uh, before you just run out there blindly, right? And so questions are a very, very good thing. I, I can remember as a kid growing up uh, in Illinois outside of Chicago, and we had a, a swing set. That was my only mode of like entertainment. Uh, and so I'd get on the swing and I'd swing for like three hours and swing and swing and swing and I'd watch clouds form and then I would form things in the clouds like, oh, that's a dinosaur and that's a toilet and look at that car and like, all right, so I'm just sharing with you some of my scars. Don't laugh at them. But anyways, that's what I would do. And I remember vividly looking to the sky going, God, do you really exist? Because when I pray, it just seems like I'm talking to myself. And there are places for those people. And so, do you really exist? I remember vividly asking that question. I'll be honest with you, my entire life, going on 46 years, I continued to ask that question of God. In a different way, but I'm still asking the questions. I go to God in my pain. I'm like, God, are you really hearing me? I go to God in my struggle and in my tears. I'm like, God, are you really listening to me? I believe your scriptures say you are, but are you, are you really here beside me? And so if that's you, I just want you to know whether you're here today or you're watching online, this is a safe place to wrestle and struggle with some of these questions. Now, here's what it will be and here's what it won't be. Here, what it won't be is a bunch of answers for you. You're not going to hear all these different topics on why does evil exist? Is there a God? And at the end of seven weeks, you're going to go, oh, I have all of my answers. We can't possibly do that. There have been millions and millions of books written, volumes written on each topic that we're going to cover. We can't cover that in a half an hour. The other thing we can't do is if you have a specific way of thinking, we're not out to change your thinking by any stretch. 
But what I'm hoping you do is wrestle. Wrestle with the questions. Keep asking the questions. Here's what it will be. What I'm hoping to do is for each of these different points, and it's not just me, there's four of us that will be preaching this series, is that we're able to take a look at Scripture, certainly see what Scripture has to say, and then unpack it from what does this mean to the world? Because my hope is that you're going to entertain these conversations with friend, family, neighbors, co-workers. Even amongst yourself that you're going to wrestle with some of these questions. And so all we want to do is unearth some of the uh, obstacles to some of these questions and then talk. One of the great places you can do that is in a life group. If you're not signed up in a life group, you can come see Randy and Sarah. They're right up here in in front or, or see Alex. He's the one leading worship. We'll help you find a life group. But you need a safe place to go, hey, this doesn't make sense, and I don't know if I believe that. That's great. We want to provide that opportunity for you. So this morning, we're tackling the the easiest one, and that is, is there a God? Okay? It is tongue-in-cheek. That is not the easiest one. You guys are like, oh my gosh, like, I can't imagine what's coming. This is not an easy one, but what we're going to be doing this morning is kicking off seven weeks of questions pertaining to Jesus and the nature of his being. Okay? Does that make sense? So that's what we're digging into. So I want to give you uh, some scripture. Now, w- another caveat to this. Unless you want to be here for three hours, we got to keep it moving. Okay? We have a lot to cover, but what I don't want you to do is to interpret the brevity uh, with a lack of empathy because we are going to move through points and if your heart is jarred where you're like hold on I didn't quite understand that you just kind of moved past it please don't take that brevity as as not compassion but we've got to keep moving all this is is a primer for you then to do more research on your own dig in together wrestle together wrestle with the scriptures and read some books Um, if you have questions that come up my email address is right here you can take a look Uh, brian at rockcreekchurch.org you can take a picture of that. If I say something or bring up a point and you're like, hey, I want to talk about that. We can go get coffee. We can go for a hike. We can go get lunch and we can talk more or we could just do it via email. Uh, in addition, if something else comes up and, and you just have this random ADHD thought of like dinosaurs or whatever, uh, you can email info at rockcreekchurch.org at any point and then we'll get back to you. We want to interact together because it's the only way that we're going to sharpen and grow row is if we do that together. What we don't want you to do is have these questions deep within your heart, come on a Sunday morning, have even more questions and get in your car and walk away confused. So we're just asking you to interact with us. Okay. Okay. So this morning I want to give you four reasons, uh, reasons, points, areas of discussion why God exists. Why four? Um, there's a professor who uh, specializes in apologetics. He's in Florida at a seminary. His name is James Anderson. And he suggests that the reason why it's important specifically in regards to why does God exist is because everyone in this room, all of us bring multiple backgrounds to our questions uh, based on where you were raised, when you were born, how old you are, if you're married, if you're divorced, if you've just had someone pass away, all of that brings you to a place where you're going to ask questions. And so the reason why we answer on multiple fronts is because for all of us in this room, we have certain things we want answered. 
Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do for all of these is try and give multiple, multiple answers uh, for these questions. Now, spoil alert, our question is, is there a God? I believe there is. Okay, hopefully that didn't ruin the movie. Hopefully that didn't ruin the story. Like, oh my gosh, I was waiting to the end to see if you really did believe. I believe there's a God. And I'm hoping you do too. But again, if you don't believe there's a God or you're watching us online, someone's forwarded you this podcast, I hope you just wrestle with it. I hope you ask the questions that come with it. All right, so four topics we're going to wrestle with, and that is this, culture, creation, conscience, and Christianity. This is going to be, over the next seven weeks, much less preaching at and teaching with. Is that okay with you guys? So it's going to be a lot of wrestle together and teaching rather than uh, full-on evangelistic preaching. Okay, so let's start with the first one, and and we're going to address this in terms of our question, uh, is there a God? Culture. Uh, If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 17, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of the seats in front of you, or you can turn your phone or iPad on uh, and pull that passage up. Acts chapter 17, this book is in the New Testament, which essentially is the second part of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible. Uh, It's written by a gentleman who's his name is Luke. And the way he writes it is essentially kind of a play-by-play uh, of events, kind of a sportscaster, play-by-play of events of what happened after Jesus ascended to the Father, what happened in the church. That's kind of the book of Acts. Now, Paul is preaching to the people of Athens. Uh, sometimes it's not very important of who someone is being written to, but this one is important, not just for them, but for us. Athens was very much like us today. You say, okay, well, what does that mean? They they didn't have iPhones, they didn't have uh, TV, they didn't have internet. How were they like us? The people of Athens did not believe in absolute truth. They believed that there was wiggle room. They also believed that there was something good to be had in several different areas. And so combine all that, almost go shopping, go grocery shopping, throw it all in the court, and there is my worldview. Very similar to today. And we're not throwing shade on culture, it's just acknowledging what we are living in today. They were very relativistic. All religions were valid. That is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 17. I want to read a passage uh, uh, that Paul is writing. And here's what he says, starting in verse 26. From one man, he, referring to God, created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Now remember that phrase, he he determined their boundaries. We're going to revisit that. His purpose was for all the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, although he is not far from any of us. What Paul is saying here is that every human being that has ever lived has been placed by God in a culture. Every human being that has ever lived has been placed in a decade, has been placed in a town, has been placed in a nation. We didn't choose that. God chose that. From the beginning of life, 
You have a specific situation. You have a specific confine for your life. And that means there is only a certain distance that you will ever travel within the world that you have been born into. Does that make sense so far? Stay with me on this. God says that I have determined the boundaries. You're only going to go so far. You may have wondered, as I have, why has it taken us this long to figure out certain things in the world? Why has it taken us this long to experience galaxies that are far, far away? How come we didn't figure those things out? Well, there are boundaries that God has set in certain times, certain places, certain regions, and you're not going to get past that. The reason why this is so important is because many of the objections of God's existence is a result of the culture that we live in. Okay, this whole series, you're going to have to just think. You can't just take it as, as, as truth. You're going to have to really think through it. If I say, hey, God loves you, you can kind of sit back and be lulled by that. When I make a statement of many of the objections of God's existence is a result of the culture that we live in, you should be going, okay, I got to think about that. Paul says you have no control. You have no say. You have no vote in where you were born, how you were born, the family you were born into, the city that you grew up in. You didn't have a choice in that. God decided it. God determined it. And the only reason that you weren't born in Nazi Germany, the only reason you weren't born in Africa, uh, unless you were, uh, the only reason you weren't born during World War I is because God determined it. God determined when and where you would be born. The only reason you weren't born in Pharaoh's time, which thank your lucky stars you weren't, is because God decided it. The culture, the century, the times at which you take your first breath is determined by God ahead of time. And the reason why that is so important for us to begin with in regards to the question of, is there a God, whether you're asking or a family member is asking, is because the arguments that people generally make are cultural arguments. In other words, for someone here today watching or online, someone might share with you over a cup of coffee this week, uh, I don't believe there's a God. What I would suggest to you is that it is more cultural response and worldview than it is personal. You are a product of when you were born. Let me show you how this might work. You might sit down with a, with a friend this week, and that friend might say something like this. You know what? I kind of view my life as figuring it out. I know what I'm supposed to do is travel the world, hear what everyone has to say, take it all in, process it all, and find my own journey, my own destination, and then I will decide where life is going and what my worldview is. Does that sound vaguely familiar to any of you? Either what you've heard or what you thought. Raise your hand. All right. All right. It maybe changed the wording, but something similar to that. And what I need you to see this morning is that is a very cultural statement. An extremely cultural statement. What I mean by this is there's only a small sect of humanity that's even thinking or asking such a question. 
The majority of the planet is not even coming close to uttering such words. We're going to unpack this as we move forward. That kind of thinking, that kind of questioning is very American, Western European mindset. And sometimes we can make the mistake of we are right. We are superior. We have deeper thoughts into God. And what we need to establish first and foremost, you are no smarter than someone on the other side of the planet. God is the same to you as he is to them. And so we need to make sure we check our egos at the door that we know better. Can we do that? Is that okay for us to do? Because that's going to be pretty important for the next several weeks. Why is this important? Because the majority of humanity is not asking this kind of a question or struggling with this worldview. They're not. They know there's a God. They're just trying to figure out who he is. The 99% of this planet knows there is a God. They're just trying to figure out who the heck he is. And so when we sit back and we go, well, a significant question in religion today is, is there a God? No, there's not. That's a very, very small sect of people who are even asking such a question. You see, there are assumptions made with that statement. My view, I believe, my journey, I investigate. Do you hear the very individualistic statements that are found in that? What that does is that assumes a culture that you are living in. If you're asking such a thing, that assumes something about you. And they are right assumptions. And so what we're trying to do is understand in regards to what Acts 17 says, we're trying to understand how that affects us and, and what we try and do in discovering my path. Because that's not normative thinking on the greater portion of our planet. It is for us. But not for humanity as a whole. Understand that that is a very American, Western way of thinking and questioning. You say, well, how is that? Well, Asian, African, Hispanic, Latin, the list goes on. Those cultures are not asking me and I questions. They're asking we questions. Why? Because that's their culture. And, and again, now, I love America. I praise God most of the time I live here. I praise God most of the time I was born here. But we live in America, I and me. When a lot of most of the other cultures, especially if you get out of this country, you will see it is we, it's us, it's our. And so that assumes something. The I and me thought is very American. So that statement assumes that you're a very individualistic person, but it also assumes that you live in a free nation. If you're going to ask the question of, I don't know if God exists, I have to figure it out, I have to do some investigation, I have to ask some questions, that means you live in a very free place. Because there are most other places in the world, they don't give a heck what you ask. You will believe what we tell you to believe. We don't need your questions. In fact, you're arrested if you ask the question. You believe what we tell you. And so to even utter the question of, I don't know if God exists, I'm going to investigate, that assumes something about where you're coming from. It assumes that you have health. It assumes you have wealth. 
It assumes that you have the ability to investigate. It assumes that you have the ability to dig deeper or that you even know how to dig deeper. That you have the physical and the financial ability to, to figure out that journey. Most of the world doesn't have that option. In other words, if you're an African woman who is a widow raising five children and you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you're not asking this question. You're looking for God somewhere, somehow. And so the question immediately assumes something. It's a cultural and it's a small one even at that in that realm of questioning. Does this answer the question? Does God exist? No, but what it does for you, if you have that question, or for a loved one, a neighbor, a coworker, is it just begins to have that conversation of where are we coming from with that question? Are you with me? And so culture is a huge aspect of even questioning, does God exist? The second point I want to cover is creation. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be in Romans 1 and Romans 2, which is super easy. The passage is written by Paul. It's written to Rome. Uh, this will come into play importantly as we move forward. Here's what Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, says. God chose his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. How do they do that? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us. They know the truth about God because what? He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds, we're going to revisit this, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols and made uh, idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24. So what happened? God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They uh, traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and they serve the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Paul says the second reason that we know God exists is because creation around us tells us he exists. It's how we were wired. He says that every human being deep down knows God exists. You say, well, that's not true. I have plenty of friends and family who absolutely are convinced God exists. Uh, perfect. We're going to address that here in just a second. 
But no matter how much they say they want to uh, believe something or to, to, to deny God's existence, they know that God exists. That's what the scriptures say. Scripture says he is so clearly seen that people are without excuse. That's why in Psalm 19 it says, for the heavens declare the glory of God and his workmanship. And, this, and, and there are several other scriptures if we had the time to go into it. Because every time you look to the heavens, as little Brian did on the swing, the heavens are proclaiming, shouting, preaching the existence of God. Even if you've not heard of God. God has it written on your heart. Every time you look and you see the beauty of the sky, uh, the heavens, I love this, the heavens are preaching a, a sermon. Much better than any preacher could. The heavens are preaching a sermon to the glorious nature of God, who he is, the realms of his glory. They're proclaiming it, they're shouting it, they're declaring the workmanship of God. But humanity has backwards. We look to the sky and to space, and I love NASA because I just love finding out new things that we didn't know. I love NASA. But we have it backwards because NASA causes us to go, wow, we are great. Look what we have found instead of how great thou art. The more we discover doesn't prove how smart we are. The more that we discover should make us in awe of the God that we know exists. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with you. I've looked at the, scars, the stars in the sky for years and I just don't think of God. And this leads us to point number three. Know this. I'm not in any way trying... Um, I'm not in any way condemning any one person. I'm trying to take what the scriptures say and give truth for us today in the culture that we live in. Know my heart is humbled as I say some of these things, but we have to address what the scriptures say. Because the scriptures warn and they say that God will eventually turn you over to your evil desires. If you pursue it that much, if you want it that bad, if you think about it that much, eventually God's going to say, so be it. Have at it. Because God will not force his love on you. That's his greatest act of love. He is not going to force you to your knees. He's not going to force you to sing a worship song. He's not going to force you to crack your Bible. He's not going to force you to utter the words, I love you. He's not going to force you to think the worldview that he has created. He will instead turn you over to your thinking instead of what you were created with. And that was for a desire for truth and an ultimate relationship with him. You were predestined, kind of a catch theological phrase thrown out there. You were predestined. You were wired to be in relationship with God. You were wired to look to the heavens and see his glory. You were predestined to be in a deep, meaningful, loving, uh, sacrificing relationship with God. But if you spend a lifetime denying that, if you spend even a year denying that, it will affect you. And the scripture says your hearts will become darkened. 
C.S. Lewis says this, the reason why God turns us over to our desires and our passions is because God, not your will be done, but my will be done. And the scriptures say that God's wrath is not fire and locusts and frogs and boils and storms and, and everything else that comes. God's punishment is saying, you want it that bad? Not the way I would go, but I'm not going to stand in your way. That's God's wrath. It's why C.S. Lewis actually says that hell is the most fair place on the world. That if you want it that bad, if you really want the things of this world more than me, if you really want to think of a worldview that's counter to me, if you want to deny me, if you want to not include me, then doggone it, it kills me. But I, in love, am going to let you do what you're going to do. And so hell is not the worst place on the planet. It's the fairest place on the planet. And we'll get into that when we talk about evil and suffering and how can God send people to hell. We'll, we'll unpack that later. The idea of God, leave me alone. I'm going for my truth. I will decide. It's my journey. Who do you think you are? God says, so be it. Your will be done. But that's not how we were wired. Turn with me to the next chapter. Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 12. It says this. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even without hearing it. They demonstrate, this is important, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim. That the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Paul says, you know God exists because of the conscience that's written on your heart. The conscience that the Bible says will either accuse you of your actions or will affirm you of your actions. You guys ever describe that? You ever have a gut feeling like this isn't right? Raise your hand. You think that's you? You think that gut that goes, ugh, something's not right here. In the in police world, we'd call it spidey senses. You walk into a room, it's way too quiet. You look at a curtain and there's shoes underneath the curtain. <laughs> In police world, they call that a clue. <laughs> your gut, your conscience, you were wired for that. It's why you can go anywhere in the world and see a kid beaten, beaten, and you know it's wrong. You can go anywhere in the world and see a woman being raped and you know it's wrong. You can go anywhere in the world and see someone absolutely being beaten down verbally. And you know it's wrong. 
Because God has written it on your heart. You were wired that way. It's how you were created in that secret place in heaven before you were placed in your, your mother's womb. It either confirms what you did is right or it condemns what you did is wrong. It's a God place mechanism that helps you discern what is right and wrong. And much like our last point, if that muscle, if that wiring is ignored or abused, eventually that muscle, that conscious, that pre-wiring to pursue God and look to God it will be rewired. Not correctly. Your conscience will be rewired. What is written on your heart will become dulled. Did you know that your conscience can be calloused? Some of you have never had a callous on your hands. I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> but if you have had a callus on your hands, you know your conscience can be calloused? Do you know the thing that God wrote on your heart can be calloused? This is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy to his young Jedi in training, his little protege Timothy. He says, hey, there's all these teachers of the law and they're teaching false things. Their hearts have been calloused. They have thought a particular way for so long. They have been adamant that they are right for so long. They have been an objection to God for so long that now their conscience has been calloused. The wording he actually uses in the original language is seared. You ever sear a piece of meat? It's not a peaceful process. Tastes good. <laughs> but the whole idea of searing something is combatant. And it says if you allow yourself to go on and on and on and on and thinking these things and questioning these things over and over and over, eventually the conscious, the heart gets darkened and calloused and seared. In other words, what used to shock and hurt you and not be appropriate is okay now. Where your heart was wired to look to God, you look up to the sky now and go, there is no God. That doesn't just happen overnight. That is a process of hardening and distance and searing and callousness. And so if you stick around it long enough, that kind of thinking, it, your, your conscience, your spirit will get rewired. It, 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 even worse, it will go into atrophy where you'll lose that muscle that longs for the things of God. You see, most people doubt the existence of God because of heart and mind reasons, but it's because of behavioral issues. In other words, the things that keep most people from believing in the existence of God is not the doubts of your head, it's the sins of your hands. Long before you, if you're here, and again, I'll just keep prefacing, you're welcome here. Please don't take my words as combative to you or your loved ones. 
But long before you began to entertain the thoughts of maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe there isn't a God. I don't know about this. The sins of your hands began that process. That's why Jesus came to die for your sins, not your thoughts. Not your reasoning, not your worldview. He came to die for your sins because your sins cause everything. Why? Because if God exists, then we are forced to change our thinking. If God really does exist, maybe this is for you, maybe it's for a loved one. If God really does exist, you and I have to change our behavior and our thinking. We can't just go on as, as things are normal. But if God doesn't exist, I get to remain God. I get to choose what I'd like. I get to think how I would like. But boy, if he does, I got some reckoning to do. And most people are really comfortable in, I don't think there's a God because of what would happen if there is. So now the fourth, very quickly, there's culture, there's creation, there's conscience, and we need this last one. We need Christianity because all we've done up to this point is promote monotheism. That's all we've done so far. All we've done is promote this idea there's one God. But so far with what I've preached, for the most part, I could go into any temple, I could go into any mosque, and I would have those nodding in agreement. So that's why we can't stop here. We have to add the element of Christianity of is there a God? Because Christianity is significantly different from any other religion that's ever existed. I'm sorry for the camera operators. Every other religion says this. I have a deity. There is a deity that I need to somehow get right. And so therefore, I'm going to be good. First rung. And I'm going to care for the needy. And I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to give financially. I'm going to serve I'm not just going to serve. I'm going to serve with sixth grade boys. <laughs> I'm going I'm to show up and be a greeter. I'm going to go on a mission trip. And it's this pursuit of climbing the rungs of a ladder, trying your best to get in good with the deity. That if I can keep climbing, that if I can keep doing the things of God, if I can just keep doing more, if I can just somehow figure out this world, then this deity, this God, by the way, in the same breath, I don't even know if God exists, but in case he does, this God, I don't want him to be angry with me, so I'm going to just keep climbing. Don't worry, John, I'm not going any higher. I'm going to keep climbing the ladder to this deity to make sure I am right with him. We spend our whole world doing this. Christianity is different. Christianity says, you don't have to climb the ladder. In fact, that's not why it exists. I want you to turn last passage, Matthew chapter 21, quickly. 
You don't have to go quickly. I'll go quickly. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 6. Jesus is entering in. He's riding on a donkey. On a colt, we usually reserve this for Easter, but nevertheless, this is critical for us this morning. Here's what it says. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded, that is, they went and got the donkey. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and then he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. That is like if you, your team won the Super Bowl, right? Or you won the state championship. Things are absolutely in pandemonium. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus, verse 12, entered the temple and began to drive out all the people by his serious shift in story right now, right? Super happy, super excited, and then boom, one verse, Jesus goes into the temple and all the people buying and selling animals for a sacrifice. He knocked over all the tables of the money changers and the chairs and selling doves. And he said, then scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Why is this important? Because the people thought in Rome, this is happening in Rome, the people thought we are in such persecution. We are against, they are so against us as Jews. There's going to be a political giant that's going to walk in and just save us. And it's going to protect our process. They thought the enemy was Rome. Oppression. And Jesus comes in. I picture him kind of like Lou Ferrigno. He's a carpenter. Some of you don't know who Lou Ferrigno is. Thank God for Google. Look it up. He's a carpenter. I, I picture him ripped. Muscles beyond muscles. He's picked up wood his whole life and he starts flipping tables and throwing chairs and tossing, I don't know, something. And, it, and, and all of this is happening. Why? Because their issue wasn't Rome. The, the issue was their pursuit of the rungs on the spiritual ladder. Their pursuit of, of getting better, of getting more approval, of, of doing more, that was their problem, not Rome. And so Jesus comes in and says, look, I'm not going to start a new political movement. I'm not going to do things new. In fact, I'm going to do what you're going to do. I'm going to model before you. I'm going to walk in. There were several different ways as you approach the city. Uh, the one for royalty was one particular gate. And then there was kind of a gate that was straight towards the sinners. And Jesus does not enter into the gate for royalty. He does not enter into the gate where everyone is supposed to view him as king of kings. He walks in and goes, we're going to redo things here. And I'm going to die. You're going to follow me. And as you lose the life, not gain the life, not gain it in the pursuit of spiritual things. As you lose your life, you are going to find life. And I'll be the first and you'll follow me. Is there a God? Yeah, there's a God. 
And I wish we had like 12 more hours. But there is a God. His name is Jesus. I know we went fast. Please, if you have questions or, or some things came up, um, email one of us. Uh, email info at rockcreekchurch.org. Email me. Um, but if we look at culture and creation and conscience and Christianity, if you walk your loved ones through this process of thinking, look, the only way that you're going to quote-unquote prove that God exists is with an element of faith. I can prove my kids are wild. I, I could put a nanny cam in my house. You don't even have to leave your house. You could watch our house and go, proof. <laughs> he did what he said. He proved it, right? You can't do that for God. You can walk someone through faith. You can walk them through the scriptures. You yourself can wrestle with what do these things mean? But only the Holy Spirit can touch the heart, especially if that heart's been rewired, if it's been calloused, if it's been seared. Only the Holy Spirit, not you and your eloquent reasoning, not you who set out to just make sure you're right, you can't change a heart. And if you're here and that's you, listen, it's, uh, I am not out to change your mind. I am out to beg you to keep asking, to keep investigating, to keep wrestling. There's not any one of us here that says this stuff's easy, especially when real life hits. I can't tell you how glad I am that you're here. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 70 years or you don't have a clue what you're doing here and you are so far from God and you're wondering, hey, is a lightning bolt going to hit this place because I'm here? I'm so glad you are. The best thing you can do is keep reading books. Go to, go to your life group and go, hey, before we get started, I actually have more questions now. Grab a friend and go, hey, can we go grab coffee? Can, can we just keep wrestling a little bit on like, A, how I know God exists or how do I explain it? Like, I don't know how to do this. Email me, Alex, Dan, told Dan. He should have just done this whole dang series. It's like walking apologist. Keep asking questions. But is there a God? You bet there is. And the Bible says, and I believe with all my heart, that one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And they will acknowledge it. Let's pray together. Father, 
my heart is sensitive to those who are here today or watching online that either they themselves struggle with this question of your existence or maybe they have a loved one who is struggling with are you really there do you really exist and I know your heart even in being questioned is love it's gentleness it's understanding So please say that to them. Please remind them right now. They're good. And whatever they do, God, I, I pray that they would not stop seeking. Not stop asking the questions. that you're strong enough, God, where you can handle our doubts and, and our pushback and our wonderings, that it doesn't detour you, it doesn't intimidate you, it doesn't hurt you. I thank you that your scripture says, come as you are. The scriptures say you came for the broken. In fact, the scriptures say, your scriptures, Lord, say you, you are near to the brokenhearted. That you came for the sick. You came for the lost. You came with those who just don't get it. So, boy, that puts us in great company. So as we go about our day today, as we go back to work, as, as we interact with friends and family and coworkers and neighbors and soccer practices and everything else, God... Point our eyes to your existence. And we will worship you through the name of Jesus Christ. Would you please stand?